Hello, and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Rick, night one of the uh, Republican convention is over. We are looking forward to uh, Melania Trump. Actually, we're going to hear from three, I actually think four Trumps uh, tonight. We only heard from one, well, two, if you count the president's uh, cameo last night. But I, I, I want to say that I, l- looking at night one, I thought in those final three speeches, the big speeches, the, the speeches that dominated the primetime hour that was carried by uh, the broadcast networks, I thought you saw two, maybe two and a half potential visions of the future of the Republican Party. Does the Republican Party go in the direction of Trumpism? You had Donald Trump Jr. Uh, deliver, deliver that message. But then you had Nikki Haley and, and Tim Scott. And I think particularly Tim Scott uh, t- delivered a message that was supportive of the president, but was much bigger than than this election. Uh, it was it was a speech that gave his very compelling personal story from cotton to Congress in one lifetime, uh, a real description of his of, of animating core beliefs and how he came by those beliefs, and an optimistic future of vision of the future. And then, of course, you had, you had Donald Trump Jr. Yeah. And you, you also had a, a convention broadly that while we heard a lot about optimism, that optimism only operates in, in the Trump world if you, if you start from a base of grievance and anger and fear. And there were a whole lot of all of those things. And I think you're right about Nikki Haley and, and Tim Scott, uh, both Republicans of color, we should point out, and there are a lot of those being showcased throughout the week. Uh, they're talking about President Trump, and they're making forcefully the case for Trump and particularly against Joe Biden, but they are going a step further and connecting their own lives, their own biographies to that, and f- trying to be part of a, of a story this week that is only maybe tangentially related to uh, what we've experienced, what you've experienced every day in that briefing room, what, this, what the Trump presidency has been, the tumult particularly of this summer. Uh, not a lot of talk about COVID, um, except in the context of the president's, um, uh, in this telling, very strong and decisive leadership early on. Not a lot of connection to the the struggling economy, except again, in the context of how great the economy was before this started. Uh, very curious to see if people like Scott and Haley are able to connect this vision that was put out by the Republican Party at, at, in this convention with some voters that might not already be in the Trump camp, because that, of course, is what has to happen. This has been a convention that is so thoroughly Donald Trump. It is like a cult of personality. I mean, even you look at that podium and the, the big image, you know, Trump 2020. This is not about the party. This is not about, you know, the country. This is about Donald Trump. That's what this convention is about. But what was so different about that Tim Scott speech, uh, which which I think was uh, I think was an excellent excellent speech. I mean, just you know, and again, you get I, I, I'm not embracing ideas any more than I did when I when I said that Michelle Obama gave an excellent speech. So don't 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 you know don't mistake this. I'm I'm not I'm not talking about uh, what I'm talking about is the message he delivered, the way he crafted it, and the optimistic tone. But he said very little talked very little about the president himself. I thought one of the more interesting passages is where he was talking about Biden and Trump and saying, don't listen to what they say, but look at what they do. 
And that was an interesting message, I thought, because, you know, obviously a, a lot of conservatives look at look at what's happened in terms of um, the substance of the last three and a half years. And they they like what the president's done in terms of tax cuts, in terms of deregulation, um, you know, all of the drama that has come with that, what he has said, not so much. And particularly, particularly I think, Tim Scott. Uh, but I we, we have a. I think just the guy to try to help us figure out where the party is going because he has spent a lifetime uh, witnessing uh, and, and in some cases helping to steer uh, the direction of this party. We have on the line right now, Frank Luntz. Frank, thank you for joining us. You're welcome, John. So Frank, I, I read an article and I, and I hope you won't mind if I, if I read a couple of passages about it, but there's an article that we spoke about yesterday here on the podcast, Tim Alberta. Uh, wrote an article about the Great Republican Meltdown. And in it, he, he describes uh, uh, getting a question from, um, from, from a 17-year-old a, a who had just had a basic question, is what does it mean to be a Republican? What do Republicans believe? And I want to read what he, what he said and how he wanted to get an answer. Uh, he said, despite spending more than a decade studying the Republican Party and betting myself both with its generals and its foot soldiers, Reporting on the right as closely as anyone, I did not have a good answer to the student's question. Vexed, I began to wonder who might. Not an elected official, that would result in a rhetorical exercise devoid of introspection. Not a never-Trumper, they would have about as much reason to answer disingenuously as the most fervent MAGA supporter. I decided to call Frank Luntz. Perhaps no person alive has spent more time polling Republicans and counseling Republican politicians than Luntz, the 58-year-old focus group guru. His research on policy and messaging has informed a generation of GOP lawmakers. His ability to translate between DC and the provinces, connecting the concerns of everyday people to the representatives in power has been unsurpassed. If anyone had an answer, it would be Luntz. Frank, that's quite a windup uh, from one of the, you know, I think one of the most respected political journalists out there. But Tim Alberta goes on to point out that you actually couldn't answer the question either. What what do Republicans believe anymore? And I still get answered after the first night of the convention. I want to raise two points that, that you guys made. One of them is you talk about grievances during the first night of the GOP convention. And I would compare that to victimhood on the Democratic side. And which is which is more important, I don't know right now. Democrats spent four nights talking about why certain segments of society were victims of Donald Trump. And now Republicans have spent the first night talking about why certain elements of society should feel uh, angry at how they are treated. And the other part, I think it's a very wise point that the two of you raised, is that the convention should have been about America, not about Donald Trump. Donald Trump's single best line in the 2016 convention is when he said, I will be your voice. Now in, in 2020, everything is about his voice, his victimhood, his grievances, how he's been mistreated. Even when he was interviewing those, uh, those people who had been held hostage and a very legitimate case to make for why he's been so effective at getting people out from jails across the globe Instead of listening to their story, we kept hearing his commentary. 
that if that the argument for his record is pretty strong, the argument for his persona is pretty weak, and he does not understand that. You know, it, it's interesting that he is using all of the symbolism of the White House. I mean, literally, they're building the convention stage for his convention acceptance speech on the on the South Lawn. The First Lady, we will hear from her right out of uh, the the Rose Garden. Uh, Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State, is going to be. Uh, he, he's visiting on official Secretary of State travel Israel right now. He's going to be giving the convention speech from Jerusalem. Now they're saying that <laughs> uh, State Department resources won't be used for the speech itself. But I looked back. I cannot find another Secretary of State uh, who spoke at a convention with one exception that proves the rule, and that was um, William Rogers <laughs> spoke to introduce a, a film about, about, um, about Ike. It was not an overtly political speech. And then we have here that the president, not only speaking from the South Lawn, but you mentioned you know, the video that he, that he shot there at the White House with uh, hostages who have been freed. He's going to pardon somebody tonight as part of uh, it, it talking to the convention. I mean, it's Richard Nixon did the Rose Garden strategy in 1972, which is completely the opposite. He didn't campaign. He didn't put himself before the media. Every campaign is unique. Every candidate is different. I don't hold that against him. I was more upset with, with brief elements of the tone yesterday. I'm, I'm waiting for the speech coaches. I want to know who speech coached some of those speakers because Americans don't want to be yelled at. And they were genuinely yelled at by several of the people who spoke primetime yesterday. And it's wrong. And it turns voters off. I think that they are making decisions, at least based on the first night, based on what they like and what they appreciate, as opposed to what the average American wants to see and wants to hear. Mike Pompeo speaking from Israel is actually pretty cool. And voters will appreciate that because he's there on official business. I don't believe that standing behind a podium with no audience and having someone absolutely scream at you is good politics. I don't think it's good policy. I don't think it's good sound or camera work. And I think it's going to play against them. Frank, I want to I want to play a couple of a couple of sound bites from last night's speeches that, that all touch on a similar theme. Sometimes using very similar language, and it all has to do with the politics of race. And, and Susie's uh, cut together a couple of highlights from last night, um, I believe, starting with Nikki Haley. In much of the Democratic Party, it's now fashionable to say that America is racist. That is a lie. America is not a racist country. It hurt my soul to hear the terrible names that people call Donald. The worst one is racist. I take it as a personal insult that people would think I've had a 37-year friendship with the racist. People who think that don't know what they're talking about. Joe Biden said if a black man didn't vote for him, he wasn't truly black. Joe Biden said black people are a monolithic community. It was Joe Biden who said poor kids can be just as smart as white kids. So, Frank, that was Nikki Haley, Herschel Walker, the former NFL star, and, uh, and, Senator, uh, and Senator Scott. What, what do you read as the intent of messaging like this, telling the American people that the country is not racist and that Donald Trump isn't racist and that Joe Biden, if anything, the suggestion here is the one who's a racist? 
that they realize that the accusation hurts the president. It hurts the president, not among black or Latino voters, but among white, moderate voters, that they felt that they had to respond to it, that if Trump gets labeled that way and that label sticks, it's problematic for him. Uh, And to some degree, I agree with that. I actually do not have a problem with this from a political or from a pollster's perspective. I think that it was a legitimate strategy and the language that they used is very appropriate. I've seen the polling. About 25% of the white community does think that America is racist, but 75% do not. I'll turn it over to you guys because I'm really curious and I'm not trying to be argumentative. Rick? Do you think America's racist? John, do you think America's racist? Uh, I, I don't think a country has beliefs by itself. And I don't know that anyone suggests that either. But systemic racism, I think, does exist. And I think there's a broad acceptance of, of the existence of systemic racism. If that's the definition, then I, I, don't, I don't see that as, a, as an argumentative statement. But I, but I think I, I'm struck by how this is used. You're, you're, you're saying that this is not about Donald Trump trying to reach black voters or or Hispanic voters. This is about Donald Trump trying to assuage white voters. I believe that. I worked with Rudy Giuliani in 1993 and 1997. And what he found was he could go to black churches. And sometimes he had a good response, not always. But he found that the more campaigning he did in black churches, the higher his moderate white vote went because the white community did not want to have a divided city felt very strongly about black rights, and they appreciated that Giuliani was willing to be mayor of the entire city. So I see that same approach happening here in 2020. Frank, one other thing I noticed is if you watch the Democratic convention last week, the leaving Trump aside, the word Republican or talking about Republicans, generally uh, the, the sense was Republicans are pretty good people and Joe Biden go reach out to them. That was the whole theme of the John Kasich speech. There were a number of Republicans who were speaking. And in my mind, there was no mockery of a party or the people that are part of a party. If you watch the Republican convention, at least night one, and I expect that this continues throughout, there's just a derision toward the Democratic Party as a whole. And often the places that they represent, not just not just mocking the, the politicians, but also the cities that are represented by Democrats, the states that are represented by Democrats. I, I can't imagine the Democrats mocking Alabama or Mississippi in the same kind of tone as the Republicans were mocking New York and San Francisco. What do you make of that? And what does that tell you about how the parties and how, the, how Biden and Trump are trying, to, are trying to close the deal? Well, I was surprised that one of the videos had Democratic governors, very partisan governors, supporting Donald Trump's actions on COVID, that he knew that the governors would protest the next day. But these are comments that they did make, comments that they knew would be used, and they were very complimentary. Uh, There is a change in the Democratic Party, just as there's been a change in the Republican Party. And it's something that bothers me, not as a pollster, but as an American, that there is no sense of common ground anymore. There's no sense of even trying, even attempting to work across the aisle, that the Republican Party has become a party of Donald Trump and the Democratic Party has become a party of AOC and Bernie Sanders, and that Joe Biden may be the standard bearer, but the actual policies itself has changed fundamentally. And I know that the Republican strategy is to remind the American people that whatever Joe Biden says is not what the people behind him think. It's not what they are organized to do. 
that his tax policy is not what Sanders and Elizabeth Warren and what the Democrats in the Senate and AOC in the House will promote. So I think it's fair game, but I don't like the the brutality of it because I think it's going to leave us more divided at the end of the convention rather than less divided. So Frank, uh, can I get you to look forward? What do you think happens? This is a big, big question, but what happens to the Republican Party after Trump? If he loses this election, what happens? So I've been asked that question now repeatedly because everybody knows I have no answer. And John, you and I have been friends. Rick, you and I have known each other for 10 years. John, you and I have known each other for more than 20 years. And I've always felt that these podcasts are the chance to be honest and be candid and not be careful. And I still don't have an answer for you because I don't know if it's a Republican Party of Nikki Haley and Tim Scott. I don't know if it's a Republican Party of Donald Jr. I don't know if it's Greg Abbott or Rick DeSantis or Ben Sass or or Ted Cruz, Marco Rubio. There were so many people who wished to lead the party that I think the Republicans in 2024 are going to have. And we didn't even mention Mike Pence. And let's see what kind of speech he gives. So it's impossible. If you're honest with the viewer, it's impossible to say, because in the end, the party will become a microcosm of whoever's voted to lead it. And I don't know who has the advantage right now. Frank, do you do you do you? feel like the the turn toward optimism is a critical one to win an election is that just is that just spin that we hear from republicans that president trump is going to 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 use this week to take a turn toward optimistic he is a he's given a lot of dark speeches in the past a lot of doom and gloom um, a lot of American carnage has punctuated all of his rhetoric he seems to have won by not being particularly sunny or optimistic does that need to change is that changing already? Is that critical if you were president running for re-election? I'm not sure I agree with the premise of that question. I believe Donald Trump won. And in the end, he won because of the Electoral College, not the popular vote. But I think Trump got enough votes to win because Americans thought he was listening to them. Americans thought they had somebody like them that was going to the White House. And in the end, if you feel like you've got a better future because of this individual, that is optimism. You may disagree with it, you may not like the tone, but to them, Donald Trump represented a significant break from the past. I believe he has lost some of that now. It's been too much about him and not enough about them. And that's what I'm listening for every night. Is this a speech about America or a speech about Donald Trump. If it's about America, he once again can recapture exactly what he needs. And I'll make the point, there were a lot of real Americans and those were as good as the professional political speeches. But some of those real Americans told their story and some of them told Donald Trump's story. It's not enough to be someone plucked up from Kentucky or West Virginia or, or Kansas. It has to be about the American life, the American way of being. If you're just promoting Donald Trump, that will not get you to 50% of the vote. It has to be about a better life for America. And they have to feel like they're a part of that communication. That's exactly what Tim Scott did yesterday. Nobody else really reached that level. 
All right, Frank, uh, we really thank you for taking time to talk to us. It's always always great to talk to you. I understand you're going to be at the White House on the South Lawn uh, for the president's acceptance speech on Thursday. I, I, I got a kick out of the uh, the Twitter poll you did. I, I guess you, you asked your uh, Twitter followers whether or not you should attend. It doesn't mean you're part of the campaign. You, you point out you, you've been to see Biden and you've been to conventions, Democrat and Republican, for, uh, for, for many cycles. And, and your Twitter poll... You said that you should go, so you're going. 68% said go, 32% don't. And most of the 32% said don't go because they're afraid I won't social distance. I'll wear a mask. I won't touch anybody. I won't get near anybody. But this is history. And being in the White House to watch a, a speech like this is something I could not, I could not uh, leave behind. But I wanted to make sure that the people who follow me that they agreed with my assessment, and clearly they do. All right. Well, I am going to be there covering it for ABC News. I will uh, look for you. I will wave to you, but I will not get too close, Frank. I appreciate it, John. Uh, That is all the time we have for today. We will be back tomorrow, every day of the Republican convention, just as we were here every day for the Democratic convention. That's right, John. We're going to be here all weekend. If you want more convention coverage, check out 538's Politics Podcasts and ABC's Start Here. You can find the links in the description. Thank you to Susie Liu, Avery Miller, and the entire Powerhouse Politics team. Talk to you again tomorrow.